Staying sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Legal immigration has been a bedrock of this country. We want to strengthen legal immigration and welcome more individuals through a merit-based system that enhances our economic vitality and the vibrancy of our diverse nation. But illegal immigration is simply spiraling out of control. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Madam Secretary, for being here and helping us answer the fundamental question of whether we care about our sovereignty and the rule of law in our country. And unfortunately, I have this now cynical view that I'm not so sure we all agree on that, that we all value the rule of law and value the ability to manage our border effectively. The president has three ways he wants to pay for it. The first two are not problematic at all. He wants to use the anti-drug money. He wants to use the forfeiture fund. And if he takes those two funds and the money that we already appropriated in the budget that even the Democrats agreed to, he gets to 5.7. Congress should have fixed this problem. The president tried multiple times to get Congress to work with him to address the crisis. They failed to do so. And now, Stacey Washington. Hey, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here. This hour, we're going to welcome, for the first time to the program, Tim Phillips. He's the president for Americans for Prosperity. And we can't wait to talk to him about what uh, Americans for Prosperity's grassroots efforts are, what they're working on, and what the 2020 election cycle is going to be like. We're also going to discuss how there's only one, just one, blockbuster store left on the face of the entire planet. And uh, people might say, oh, you know, who cares? Well, it's kind of an iconic thing uh, for Blockbuster because I, as I was listening to the story, and it's kind of everywhere, everyone's talking about it. And that to myself, I said, well, is this, is this such a big deal? And then I realized it is. It's actually, it's actually a huge deal. And, and I'll tell you why. It's a huge deal because we're talking about something that, like a lot of families, you, we went to Blockbuster a lot. We would be there and the kids would be running back and forth and picking up cartoons, et cetera, et cetera. And we would just enjoy ourselves. Uh, we would, we would pick out some, you know, a couple movies for me and my husband to watch when the kids were in bed. And we would just, it was just a trip that they liked to make. And they often had, you know, cross promotional items, like things, character items from the movies, et cetera, et cetera. It was just, it was just something fun to go do. And we would go to Blockbuster. Um, back when the kids were small, we went, I think we probably only went like once a month, maybe twice a month sometimes. But it was just fun. And now um, those stores don't exist anymore. Remember, it kind of morphed onto um, Netflix was mailing you DVDs. Remember, <laughs> they, would, they would mail you. Uh, first, you know, they'd mail those to you and you could keep them for really just as long as you wanted and then kind of give them back. Uh, you'd mail them back or you'd drop them off somewhere. And then there were the red boxes, which I noticed red box. I don't see those in the grocery store anymore. I think they might've gone out of business too, or, or been uh, morphed into something else. That's a streaming type of a thing. It's just a change that like our kids will never know that they'll never take their kids to a store and rent a DVD. Now you can still get DVDs at the library and that's really fun to do. You go to the library, you get a couple DVDs, um, or you get a book on CD. It's still fun to do, 
but it's not nearly what it was. And uh, so it's, it's interesting. So uh, Representative Dan Crenshaw has made a lot of news for his statements uh, during the questioning of, um, so we had this border security discussion where Kirsten Nielsen showed up and she was testifying there and he was asking her some questions. And this is, a, it's rough content. If you're in the car with the kids, um, th- this just two audio clips I want you to hear, but I just want to give you a warning. It's not explicit, but it does cover some very sensitive and upsetting content about some things that have happened at the border and since uh, for people who have crossed illegally. So I want to listen to these two clips. One of them, uh, he talks, he basically deconstructs the Democrats' arguments where there's not much to deconstruct. They're not giving good arguments against securing the border, but he tackles them anyway. It's number three. There's a young woman in my office yesterday. She's from Mexico. She's about 18 years old. She was taken across the border, kidnapped about five years ago. On the third attempt, because they were turned back twice by Border Patrol, on the third attempt, they made it through, and she was brought to New York City where she was raped approximately 30 times a day for five years. I don't know why nobody talks about that kind of stuff. When I was at the border in McAllen, in one day, in one location, 16 kids came across with adults that, didn't, that were not their parents. Further questioning and follow-through led to a stash house with 54 people kidnapped inside in Houston. Nobody talks about that humanity. Those are direct results of the fact that our asylum laws are taken advantage of. That's a direct result of the fact that that woman in my office was allowed to walk straight across the border. Nobody stopped her. There's no wall, nothing. Would have been turned back otherwise and not been in New York City to suffer the absolute nightmare that she did. And then we get to the question of whether walls work. And this has been a really fun conversation over the last couple of months. Do walls work? Madam Secretary, would you agree that there's three parts to security, personnel, technology, and barriers? Absolutely. Can you just take one of those away? No, sir. When I was down in McAllen and Brownsville, what we see is Brownsville has about 35 miles worth of of barriers. And as a result, only 6% of the crossings in that sector take place because walls work. Would you agree with that? Walls work, yes, sir, as evidence. So, first of all, I don't know how any person who's a Democrat could listen to that story of what happened to that young woman who was brought into the country illegally and after numerous attempts to get in, was then taken to New York and used for sexual slavery for five years. The absolute degradation and horror of that, it's it's like torture is what she experienced for five years in this country, is unimaginable. And yet we have people advocating to continue to allow women from south of the border to be used in this way. And for every one of you who's feeling like, well, it, it has to be kind of worth it because some of the people who make it in, they're, they're not sold in sexual slavery and they become a part of the American dream. Since when has the American dream ever been about lawlessness and about circumventing our legal processes? It hasn't. It has never been. So he goes on a little bit further in his questioning of Kirsten Nielsen, Secretary Nielsen. Here he is. It rounds out the rest of this audio here, and we can move on from this. It's uh, number four. McAllen, about 1,000 people were crossing on some days because they don't have the infrastructure. Would you agree that the biggest difference between the McAllen 
corridor and the Brownsville corridor would be the physical barriers? Uh, the wall system, yes, sir. Been a lot of red herrings that have been thrown out there to argue these points. Drugs like fentanyl come through points of entry. Yes, we know. You would agree with that, right? Yes. Does that have anything to do with the conversation about whether we need barriers between points of entry? It does not because it's not an either or. There's, a, there's always the conversation about we just need more technology because then the border agents can just chase people around as we see as because we can sense them coming through. Is that the only solution or do you need that plus barriers plus personnel? Uh, we need all three. We also need the ability to detain and remove when there's no legal right to stay. There's a point often made that the border crossings are the lowest in years. We had about 400,000 last year, although that's quickly on the rise, of, of, as you've noted, 76,000 just this last month. The point is often made that because it's lower than in the year 2000, that there's no crisis. Is that accurate? Is 400,000 a year a low number? Uh, sir, it's not, but again, if I could, uh, respectfully, uh, it, it's because of the flow. It's because these are families. It's because these are children. That is why it's a crisis. It's a terrible, horrific journey that they undertake. It is. And so we're talking about a number of degrading situations, a number of areas where people, children, uh, women, and, and even men, because uh, it's, it's not like men aren't also victimized during this process, are forced into these, it's like a death march, and they keep marching and making their way up uh, to America. And then when they get inside the country, again, what about MS-13 retaliating against people who've previously spoken out against them in their home countries? MS-13 fighting with individuals who come here and they don't find work, and so they start you know, working in the drug trade, and then they're decapitated, killed, murdered, kidnapped, ransomed by MS-13 because now they're operating and they're fighting over a turf war. There isn't a benefit that outweighs the negatives that have been outlined here. And, and I, I stress it one more time, just so we can have it in the podcast and for posterity and for anyone who's tuning in, we're talking about this record number of illegal aliens who are crossing into the country, not waiting in Mexico. There's a record number waiting in Mexico, but there's even larger number who are just getting in, crossing over the open fields and, and wastelands uh, that, that are the border between America and Mexico. They're crossing over. And the issues that we're now facing are it's humanitarian because we're talking about families with kids. They're sick. They need medical care. They're coming here and they've been told all you have to do is bring a kid and you can stay. It's pretty simple. It's, it's not like they're sitting down and reading reams and reams and tome, you know, huge stacks of books on America's immigration system. They're not being taught anything true about America. They're being told just get there and make sure you have a kid with you and you can stay. And then you can go in and you can work. And the criminals are taking advantage of that. The drug cartels are taking advantage of that. Terrorists from abroad are taking advantage of that. And the carnage, the uh, unintended consequence, the, the silent side effect is these horrible situations that women and children are finding themselves in where they're being used and abused by bad actors who are taking advantage of our broken system. The answer is to do something about it, not to condone it, not to act as if it's not as bad as people say, not to make up things about like say, oh, you know, 
it's not that bad. It's a made up crisis. It doesn't have anything to do with reality. I, I think the woman who was used for five years in New York um, would say that this is a pretty bad problem and it does need to be fixed. And that if it's not fixed, more people will be used like she was. That's already happening. There's, there's no doubt that these things are going on. So I just, it's such a, it's, again, I hesitate to use the term depressing. Um, I have, I have a lot of hope and I know that God's justice is real and it, and it's continually being brought about. We have to pray for it. We have to continue to go to God and trust him to take care of these situations, but we have to be informed and we have to be armed with the truth. We can't afford to be deceived at a time like this. We can't afford to be on the wrong side, participating in the sin and condoning it and making it possible for others to be entrapped and enslaved in this way. You have to be on one side or the other. It doesn't mean you can't be in favor of immigration reform or you know any, any host of issues that might fix the problem from different perspectives, but you cannot say, well, I just adopt the prevailing mantra of the Democrat Party, which is that there isn't an illegal immigration problem and that we don't need to do anything about it and that barriers are medieval. Once you start down that path, you're condoning what's going on. And when you start condoning it, you're a part of it. You're participating in it. You're guilty, too. There's no escaping that. And that has to be said. I don't, I, I'm not into being the uh, Debbie Downer, you know, <laughs> from Saturday Night Live. I'm not into that. But I am into telling the truth. Uh, so right now I want to, uh, you know, talk about this other story that was kind of, it's, it seems like it's bad news, but I'm, I'm not seeing it that way. It's a story over at CNBC and they're talking about the decline in net worth since the financial crisis. And they say that household net worth fell to the highest or fell at the highest level since the financial crisis, according to federal data. Net worth at the end of 2018 was at 104.3 trillion, a drop of 3.73 trillion from the third quarter. Now they're talking about individual net worth of Americans and that it's falling, and uh, it amounts to a drop of 3.4%. Now, much of the slide was due to Wall Street's woes, a loss in the market, and um, equity skidded as investors began to fear that the Fed would keep raising interest rates. So now we know that the Fed's not going to keep raising interest rates and the market will rebound. So, you know, that's why I don't take it as a totally negative story. It's going to come back. All right. When we get back, we're going to have Tim Phillips, the president of Americans for Prosperity. Stay right there. Here's American Family Association president, Tim Wildman. Lynn Ingram and Jim Duncan, two Texans, support and believe in our ministry here at AFA and AFR. We know more about the laundry business than anything else. We know a little bit about a lot of things, but we know a lot about the laundry and dry cleaning business. They created a laundry detergent to sell to folks to support AFA. We just want to be able to provide a product that can be used by AFA to support the ministry. When you wash your family's clothes with Redeem Clean Laundry Detergent, you can take great satisfaction in knowing that you're supporting the vital work of the American Family Association. It's a unique way to increase your giving to AFA. For clean laundry and support of a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Learn more about the Redeem Clean products when you visit redeemclean.afastore.net. 
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. You know, when the U.S. debt officially reached $20 trillion, some listeners ask, who owns this debt? In the past, we were assured that the national debt wasn't a big deal since we owe it to ourselves. I never thought that comment was very reassuring then, and it simply isn't true now. The U.S. borrows heavily from foreign countries, especially the Chinese, and this creates the first problem, foreign influence. One former member of Congress put it this way, whoever pays the piper gets to call the tune. Foreign leaders aren't inclined to whistle Yankee Doodle. Another problem is that these countries are not an infinite source of credit. They have their own economies to deal with and will probably want to put their investments closer to home, especially as they look at the current congressional spending spree. Are we approaching a time when America's excessive borrowing makes us a bad credit risk? Sometimes the U.S. looks like some of the citizens who have maxed out their credit cards and have nowhere else to turn. The amount some of these countries hold in American debt is staggering. The U.S. government owes China $1.1 trillion. Saudi Arabia probably has about $700 billion in assets. A number of years ago, they threatened to sell that much off when Barack Obama was president. These countries that have been lending America money may not wish to invest anymore in America and might even decide to withdraw their current investments. In previous commentaries, I've warned about the possibility that these foreign investors may simply decide to cash in their treasury bills and invest them closer to home. If our creditors cut us off, our treasury securities could reach junk bond status. The lesson here is simple. Before you spend the money, you need to know where it's coming from. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Okay, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. If you want to find out more about what we're doing, go to urbanfamilytalk.com. American Family Radio is at afr.net. And my website is stacyontheright.com. It's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the program. Tim Phillips is the president of Americans for Prosperity, one of my favorite groups. <laughs> and uh, Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, I'm not sure if anyone's able to hear Tim. I'm not hearing him. Uh-oh. Okay. Um, well, maybe we're going to try and get our guest back. Um, but as we're working on that, um, I actually want to give an opportunity for that to happen. We've got this New Jersey town proposing a rule giving dog owners jail time for uh, – the, their dogs barking for longer, long periods of time. So we'll listen to that. It's number five. Excessive dog barking. A proposed ordinance in Saddle River would prohibit loud, continuous barking for 20 minutes during the day and for 15 minutes at night. Dog owners who break the rules could face fines between $100 and $1,000. They could get community service or even prison time. Public hearing and vote are scheduled there in Saddle River on March 18th. <laughs> All right. I think we have Tim back. Um, Tim is the Tim Phillips is the president of Americans for Prosperity. Tim, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Glad to be with you. 
All right. So first off, before we get into the interview, Demetrius wanted me to pass on a hearty hello and uh, have a great day. <laughs> He's a good man and a good friend. Absolutely. You know, he really is. And I, I'm so uh, blessed to have him working as an associate producer on the show, in addition to the work that he does for you at Americans for Prosperity. And I'm, I'm really excited about our interview today. Thank you for your time. I wanted to talk to you about Americans for Prosperity's grassroots efforts and what the 2020 election cycle will look like. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we're just coming off uh, an incredibly close 2018 election cycle, right? I know Florida was uh, uh, the epicenter of that. I mean, the closest statewide campaigns in the entire nation were really in the Sunshine State, where I actually am today. Uh, but looking ahead to 2020, we're going to be looking at Americans for Prosperity to support genuine policy champions. And these are folks who, they're not perfect. You know, there's no such thing as a, a perfect candidate out there. But, but folks who um, you know, in, are looking to, to knock down the barriers that hold Americans back from being able to live the American dream. Um, and so we look for folks who are aligned on most of the key issues. Uh, and then they're also leaders. They actually try to step out there and lead the way rather than simply, uh, you know, casting votes and, and staying quiet. They actually lead, and they lead in a positive way. I know I mentioned Florida. I look at Governor Ron DeSantis, and he is a policy champion in our eyes. And I think about education reform, criminal justice reform, uh, trying to rein in uh, out-of-control regulations and red tape that hold people back you know, on so many issues. Now Governor DeSantis is a leader, and he does so in a positive way uh, that, that I think brings people together. So uh, when we say policy champions, if, you know, if you're thinking about Florida, you can certainly think about Governor Ron DeSantis as someone like that. So speaking of uh, governors for states, I know that's where Demetrius lives and works, and you're there now today. Um, we also have our, our governor here, Mike Parsons, the governor of the state of Missouri, um, I'm not sure if he's been interfacing with AFP on some of the things that we're trying to do here. Last year, we were able to pass a historic um, tax cut, one of the largest tax cuts ever in 100 years in the state of Missouri. And so I feel like we're, we're on the right track with limited government and getting you know government out of the way of the people to be able to do more with their, their resources. No, I, I agree with that. Uh, that was a significant uh, a victory for, for the people of Missouri. And you know, we've had a... a, a, a a full-time grassroots and staff presence in Missouri for, gosh, almost eight years now. So we go back a, a long ways in that state. Um, obviously, we were active in the United States Senate race last year uh, with Josh Hawley, who we, mm. we think a lot of. And, you know, I know uh, he was in the news a lot during the Naomi Rao um, confirmation on the judicial front, and, and we were certainly supporting her nomination um, and and we felt like he did the right thing in voting the right way as well. And uh, so, but absolutely, that's a good example you just gave. Yeah. So when you talk about the grassroots efforts, a lot of people just think of Americans for Prosperity through the lens of what the left has tried to incorrectly portray, which is, you know, it's the Koch brothers, it's this, it's that. 
Um, it's, it's, you know, an organization that does X, Y, and Z, really negative things that are said about AFP. My, for my personal experience, I've gotten a lot of training, media training, grassroots activism training, blogger training from Americans for Prosperity locally here in the state of Missouri and also at conferences across the country that you guys have held that have been geared towards bloggers or geared towards activism or geared towards training. I've spoken at a couple of your conferences and, and disseminated information that I've learned Part, some of which I gleaned from, uh, you know, uh, your your team of people that go around training constantly. What what would you say to people who are unfamiliar with AFP and just want to understand what it is, the truth about it, uh, not not the the lies that are continually put forward in the leftist media? Well, we are a, a local, community based grassroots organization. Uh, we're in thirty five states across the country, including Missouri. Uh, we don't just kind of pop up for uh, a single election or, or a single issue battle. We're there permanently, year in and year out. And uh, you mentioned something that's very important to us. I know I travel on the road a lot talking to grassroots activists. And one of the things they, they talk about uh, is that you know a lot of national organizations, um, they don't really invest in local activists. It's always kind of a one-way street, you know, come out and knock on doors or make phone calls. And so a few years ago, we started the Grassroots Leadership Academy. And we actually, for free, provide training uh, for activists, really from every walk of life in our local field offices, on how to be more effective for their values and principles and beliefs. We, you mentioned some of them, but uh, we do everything from how to be more effective using your social media accounts, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or any other number, uh, how to be persuasive in letters to the editor for your local newspapers, uh, how to recruit other folks to join activist efforts. We also do a lot of discussion on what is the true nature of freedom and, and, and American free enterprise and capitalism. You know, we see so many voices on, um, out there today calling for socialism, and it's, it's frightening to think about. And sometimes I think we are nervous a lot of our folks are, to, to go out and, and stand for freedom and to stand for free enterprise and, and to explain why lower taxes is actually the, the best way to take care of people because it lets folks make their own decisions, and they're a lot more efficient and smarter than the government is at any level. Uh, so it, it, it explains everything like that. For example, trade right now. That's a big issue, trade and tariffs right now. And a lot of good uh, folks, believe that, that tariffs and protectionism are the way to go when we know that the free and voluntary exchange of goods across our nation but also across the world brings lower prices for consumers, uh, it brings greater choices, uh, and, and frankly, it creates American jobs. Uh, and, and so our, our Grassroots Leadership Academy also you know, discusses issues like that to, to, to equip our activists. So we do a lot of grassroots leadership uh, training, and then at the Capitol, uh, and even locally at the county and city level, uh, we work with our activists to, to take on the big policy battles uh, that affect them. You know, right now in a lot of states, we're seeing states trying to increase the gasoline tax. Mm -hmm. uh, that's happening right next door to you in Arkansas right now. It's a big battle going on, and we're trying to protect <clears throat> the folks of Arkansas from seeing their gas taxes go up. And by the way, those gas taxes, they hit poor people. They hit senior citizens on fixed incomes. They hit them the hardest. And so uh, we're battling 
at that level, at the county level, in a lot of places across this country, uh, including right there in Missouri as well, we see property tax battles at the county and city level. Uh, and normally these are so quiet, they're so under the radar screen, that a lot of times your property taxes go up and you don't even know it. And mm-hmm. so if folks are out there and they want to join a local community uh, that's working to, to, to take on the biggest issues affecting them, and also, it's working in the community to help, again, as I said earlier, to remove the barriers that hold people back from the American dream. I hope they'll join us. They can go to uh, online. They can Google Americans for Prosperity Missouri, um, or they can go on Facebook. We have Facebook chapters. We're on Twitter as well. You can find out where your local field offices are, uh, and you can meet other activists uh, who very often have the same goals and passions that you do. So I, I, I want to point out to people that what Tim Phillips, president of Americans for Prosperity, if you're just tuning in, we're chatting with him. Uh, Tim is explaining what AFP does and who AFP is. But I, I just want to point out it's he's speaking broadly about the, the training that they have, um, the, the people that work for AFP. But I want to kind of point out that when you say you're in 35 states, it's not that you found 35 of your employees at corporate and ship them out to 35 states. You have people who lived in the state, for instance, here in Missouri, all of the people who work for AFP are people who've lived here for years. They're they're a part of their communities. And so the work that they're doing is an extension of their desire to see the mission of AFP accomplished, of course, but limited government and to help citizens be more active with their government, whether it's local, statewide, or interacting with the federal government. It, these are locals who now are representatives of a- AFP and help accomplish that mission by partnering in the community. That's exactly right. I, and I didn't, perhaps I didn't explain. Heck, you're explaining it better, I think, than I am. Uh, but <laughs> it is. These are, these are local people. I, you know, I work out of a, a national office in Northern Virginia, but we actually have hundreds of staff working with literally tens of thousands of grassroots activists, and these are people from literally every walk of life uh, who work to make their communities better. We also do uh, a lot of anti-poverty efforts in communities that that help the private sector uh, lift people up because a lot of times the barriers that people face to living the American dream uh, can be addiction or they can be... uh, criminal justice issues, or they, they can be, frankly, simple poverty issues that if you give people, uh, you know, the tools to succeed, they become successful Americans. And, and by the way, they become taxpayers, they become mm-hmm. folks who are productive for their families and communities, and uh, along with helping themselves achieve their dreams, it also makes our nation stronger. So while helping individuals uh, break through some pretty tough cycles of poverty, addiction, uh, uh, criminal justice issues. Uh, it, it helps our nation as well. And so our activists are there literally year-round, year after year. I, I mentioned that, that I'm in Florida now, and we've been active in Florida with staff for a decade, um, and in, in some states even more. I think about Kansas, which was our very first state chapter with Americans for Prosperity. And we launched there in 2004. It's hard to believe, but it's been well over a decade, almost 15 years now, that we've been we've been doing this. And folks can join us. Uh, they 
We don't charge membership fees or anything like that. Folks can just join us and get involved, and they have the opportunity to make a big difference for themselves, for, for the people in their communities, and, and frankly, for this country. You know, we've been involved in some of the, the big national battles, uh, along with some of the big you know, statewide you know, Senate and gubernatorial elections at, in state after state. But I think some of the best work we do is at the local level, uh, working to help people in their communities uh, to, to build grassroots uh, strength to win and, and improve their local communities. I think one of the things here in Missouri, and I, I can't echo your comments enough, Tim, but one of the things in Missouri that I loved seeing was when you got involved in the, the local school choice efforts, which really expanded options. It didn't happen overnight. It was really a, a kind of work of love where the Americans for Prosperity people kind of interfaced with legislators and then they interfaced with the community. And it became kind of a bipartisan movement that now really isn't about politics. It's about starting schools in areas where parents are moving in with kids. And it's it's kind of morphed away from a political thing. And it's much more a grassroots uh, kind of driven by different communities looking for different options. And I can kind of trace that back to you guys bringing in speakers and, and hosting little like town hall things. And it was just it was at the time, I was like, I wonder what's going to happen. Will this make a difference? Over time, it has definitely made a difference, and I think it will continue to do so. I think uh, Demetrius having you on the show today and bringing you in to talk about this, I want to give people the website one more time as we close out the interview so they can interface with their local state chapter and start getting some of these benefits in their areas as well. Absolutely. And by the way, you mentioned school choice and freedom movements. Uh, those are the, that's to me one of the most personal important issues is moms and dads or grandmothers or grandfathers who are uh, making sure their children get the best education because a, a child's destiny, it should not be determined by a zip code and by how much money you make. It, mm. it should be something that every kid has a shot at getting a quality education. And for that, we need education, freedom, and choice for parents and grandparents for their children. And that's something that it cuts across political lines, partisan lines, uh, and, and that's an issue we've worked so hard on. So folks can go to americansforprosperity.org, americansforprosperity.org. There's a pull-down for Missouri. Uh, they can go to Facebook, and uh, if you just uh, punch in a search for Americans for Prosperity uh, Missouri, it'll pop up on Facebook. Same thing on Twitter, uh, and same thing on Instagram, by the way. So we hope folks will get involved, and we're thanks for having taking the time and having me on today. Oh, thank you so much. Tim Phillips, President of Americans for Prosperity, thank you for your time today, and I look forward to speaking to you again. Absolutely. All right. That was fantastic. Um, we'll be back with more. We'll also take calls. At, you can call in at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. We'll be talking about uh, the lots of things, actually, the blockbuster thing. We'll talk about that again. <laughs> Stay right there. In a move most Christians probably never expected to see, Walmart has created and is promoting a Facebook video ad that normalizes homosexual relationships. And they need to hear from you. The ad is part of a campaign released on Valentine's Day called Love is in the Isle, a dating show at Walmart. Episode 2 features Pat and Andy, two homosexual men on a blind date as they meet at the store and shop together and discover whether or not they're compatible. 
please sign the American Family Association petition to Walmart asking them to remove this pro-homosexual video and remain neutral on controversial issues. It's clear that Walmart is on the path to elevating homosexual relationships to the same level as the male-female model of marriage. Sam Walton must be turning over in his grave. Let Walmart hear from their Christian customers. We'll present the petition at corporate headquarters March 20th. Please sign our Walmart petition today at afa.net. That's afa.net. Help her in her time of grief, Father. Thank you, Father. Give her strength, give her guidance, and help her realize that you are there with her. Intercession is a unique form of prayer. It's praying on behalf of another individual. Pastor Joseph Parker of the Hour of Intercession. Our prayer life is to not consist only of praying for ourselves and our own families, but we're to pray much for the needs of others and the world. Listen weekday afternoons at 1 Central here on Urban Family Talk. Stephen Black. Because my molester spoke to me while being molested that I had somehow caused this, I had a deep sense of darkness and shame. The thing that I see in others is ministering to them, this deep sense of shame. And that's what brings about healing once that is discovered that their innocence was taken from them. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is coming June 20th through the 22nd. Learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. The Dean's List with Janice Dean. An officer in South Hill, Virginia makes the Dean's List for making sure the neighborhood kids feel safe. Corporal C.B. Fleming may not run around the city wearing a cape and mask, but the neighborhood kids still call him Batman. He's just one of the emergency crew members who arrived at Aisha Roper Boswell's home in response to a gas leak call. Once the house was deemed safe, he started chatting with her. As they talked, the mom mentioned to Officer Fleming that her daughter, niece, and fellow neighborhood kids were afraid of cops. She was stunned then, shortly after her conversation, when she saw the police officer lying in the grass so he could play with the children. Not only that, the kids were happy to have another playmate. Miss Roper Boswell pulled out her phone and captured a quick video of the heartwarming moment. It has been viewed thousands of times. Officer Fleming has been working at the South Hill Police Department in Virginia for the last 15 years and says he has always strived to be a positive part of the community. Officer Fleming, you are amazing. You made the Dean's List. Janice Dean, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here today. I wanted to give you that little bit of audio from, um, actually, no, I don't, I don't want to give you a little bit of audio. I want to, I want to move forward with, um, our discussion that we've been having, which is partially driven by this, uh, and we haven't gotten to it today so far on the show. So I want to, I want to discuss how this, how this is all coming together. It kind of feels as if, um, a lot of these things that we're seeing in the news are separate items that are operating apart from each other, but they're, they're not, they're connected. And what I'm speaking of specifically is this, that you saw earlier in the week, there was this news story about 81 different letters going out to different people, Trump family members, um, Trump associates, anyone having anything to do with Donald Trump. And they went to the white house and, and, and so on and so forth. And the letters don't have any actual teeth to them because the House doesn't have actual oversight capability, not, not 
the kind of power that they're talking about, but they can send the letters and ask for information. So the idea is that they would do this now um, and that in doing this now, they would be able to set up impeachment proceedings for after the 2020 election. So I'm not saying that they're not going to run candidate that, that they feel is best, that has the best chance in their minds of beating President Trump. But they know the odds are against them because the president is, you know, the incumbent and the incumbent has a much, a much stronger chance of winning reelection than a challenger, unless the nation is at war or there's some kind of health epidemic or the economy is bad. So if the economy stays where it is or somewhere close to where it is now, the president will probably win reelection and it, it's, it's not going to be that hard for him to do. And that calculation I've talked about a little bit before, but that calculation is based upon most Americans saying, okay, let me just look at my, my household right now. Let me look at what is going on here, uh, you know, in, in our lives. Are we able to buy what we need? Are we able to, are, are we all working? Are we prospering? And um, if you're doing fine, you're going to kind of look around and say, well, I might not vote for my house rep again. But I'm definitely going to keep the president in office because I think, you know, I want to I want to kind of stay on this trajectory. I don't want a radical change. And that's why most presidents win reelection, because unless there's a need for a radical change, you know, that they just and the other part that I think is kind of interesting is. In my opinion, the Democrats would actually have a stronger case for getting rid of the president had they simply played fair and reported on the good things that he's done, as well as the things that they don't like. And hadn't completely vilified him and caused so many people in America to be deranged against him. It's that Trump derangement syndrome that has infected a huge part portion of the left that is so out of the norm that makes them seem so much like caricatures of themselves that it makes moderates leery of listening to what they have to say. It makes moderates mistrustful of them and the media the media apparatus that they have that constantly parrots what they have to say. They're unable to sell moderate Americans and people on the right who are newly to the right, people who their first vote for a Republican was President Trump. They're unable to sway them because they look so outlandish. They sound so um, unhinged. They're, they're saying things that make them... They're vilifying themselves. They're, they're, they're making themselves appear so odd and out of control that it's hard to accept the message that they have. And then it, beyond the way they appear, there's also the issue of how their policies are being seen. Um, and when I say their policies, the Green New Deal, for instance, which they've now taken to openly lying about. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez totally botched the rollout of the Green New Deal. And when people actually saw what was in it, and understood what it was about, they, they became really flummoxed and upset by um, the idea that we would replace every building in the country, we would eliminate air travel, eliminate, you know, and even Democrats were like, wait, what are we going to do? And so when you look at that, and the lack of coordination there, and the fact that they actually put that out, they actually thought, let's put this out. If you I mean, just think about that for a second, you have an opportunity to roll out what you're calling the Green New Deal. This is supposed to be something new and aspirational. It's supposed to be something that makes 
things better for Americans and answers this continual goal on the left to be seen as the ones who care the most about the environment and want to save the earth, save the children, save the pound puppies, save everybody. But that's not what it looks like. It doesn't look like you're trying to save everybody when you start talking about costing every family in America $600,000, $600,000 per household. How does that make you better than, say, the Republicans or anyone who's not bringing up any idea at all? Because that's the other accusation as well. The the Republicans, uh, they don't have any ideas. The Republicans don't actually have anything that they're putting forward to do anything. Okay. Um, I, I, I can see where you might want to say that you might think, uh, you might think that the best thing you can do is to put forward that idea so that it, it, it becomes an issue where Americans are just, they're like, Republicans don't want to do anything. And Democrats do, so we at least have to listen to what they have to say. But then when Americans move over to listen to what you have to say, and you're talking about eliminating all personal vehicles and everybody using public transportation, that sounds weird because it is weird. It sounds untenable because it is untenable. It sounds like something that you're just making up. It's like you let someone who doesn't have any sense at all get in, in charge of what you're doing and then uh, put, just put that out there. Just put anything out there. Don't, don't even try. And so, you know, the, the enemy is always going to stack up and put things out there that are, are ludicrous and weird and don't make any sense. But by the same token, you know, even like even the devil has a, a marketing plan and the Democrats, at, as they currently stand, parroting am- anti-Semitism, pushing out these kinds of ideas and saying things that are really um, incendiary and offensive to a huge part of their base. Because I, I just, I, when Stephen Solomon was talking about this, I can't actually see um, Jewish Americans who aren't of the activist core, the ones who don't, they don't really see themselves as a part of Israel. Those people are a lost cause. But Jewish Americans who actually still see themselves as having a Jewish identity that is connected to Israel, how can they sit with a, a group of people who are openly anti-Semitic and want to uh, degrade the Jewish identity in the eyes of, of the rest of America? Jewish people are Americans and they are, they're not any less than any other group of people in America. But that doesn't sit well with Islam, does it? Islam is incompatible with the Western uh, thought pattern and, and Western way of life because we accept everyone here. As long as you want to be an American, you get to come in uh, you know, lawfully and be an American. And Islam doesn't permit that. It's, sub, it's subjugation or die. Um, so the other big story, which I, again, I can't believe the blunders that are being made here. Uh, the DNC head, Tom Perez, has announced that he is not going to allow the Republicans, or I can't say the Republicans because Fox News is not the Republicans. Tom Perez is not going to allow Fox News to host any of their debates. So Fox News always hosts one. CNN always hosts one. You know, they, they give the major media outlets an opportunity to host a debate. And they will host the debate at, you know, a university in a certain locale. And they try to get, you know, a debate somewhere near 
um, every part of America. So if you wanted to, you could travel and you could you could see the debate live in person. You could, you know, hopefully get a ticket or what have you. They're not going to allow Fox News to host any and they have 10 scheduled because they say that Fox News is is uh, in the tank for President Trump. It's propaganda. Now, that's they have every right to do whatever they want to do. But this is one of those marketing moves that I think is it's like whoever is the king of stupidville is in charge of this decision. And, and here's why. You don't leave audience like that on the table. You don't leave 40 or 50 million Americans on the table. And, and what, they're, what they're banking on in their minds, it's, it's not good marketing, but it, it, it does have a thought methodology. They think they'll be able to get 40 or 50 million Fox viewers who are interested in seeing the Democratic debate to simply watch CNN. Now, if you're a Fox News viewer, you know that you're watching Fox News because you think CNN is fake news. You're watching it because you know MSNBC is fake news. You're watching Fox News because you're tired of being painted as a racist, a bigot, an anti-woman, anti-animals, you know, anti-clean environment. You're tired of being painted as some kind of a monster. You're tired of being painted as someone who would, you know, shoot up a school or, or do something awful like that because you're a law abiding citizen and you happen to be on the right side of the political spectrum and you believe in it. And you also go to church or you also have, you know, your faith experience is one that you don't you don't want it insulted by media heads. And so you don't watch their shows. You watch Fox News. And so you're not about to say, oh, you know what? For this debate, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to watch CNN. You're just not going to see it. I think the real reason they don't want to have it on Fox has nothing to do with propaganda and has everything to do with the fact that the Fox News hosts will ask real questions and they don't want their people looking stupid because they put out a whole bunch of ideas that just don't pass the smell test. They can't answer the questions that come from a Fox News host. And remember, just while we're talking here, just, just while we're having this discussion, do you remember how much trouble Megyn Kelly got into when she put tough questions to President Trump that were, you know, considered to be outside of the mainstream and how the viewing audience there just it, it was a total career buster for her. It didn't destroy her career, but it definitely put her at odds with so many people who were wanting to see President Trump, then candidate Trump, uh, perform well. And the question that she asked, it just seemed to be outside of what she would ask anybody else. And, and, and so do you think, you know, that, that that's what we're going to see here? We're going to see a bunch of the, because there's, there's, there's other things that can happen too. The president could say, well, I won't, I won't go on any debate that is being hosted by CNN. I, I doubt if he would do that because honestly, he's going to take the free airtime. Um, if, if you doubt that, then... What was that two-hour speech at CPAC? Um, and he was in rare form. And people who got up and left because they had to go somewhere else or had to use the bathroom or went to get lunch or whatever, they weren't coming out saying they didn't like it. They were just coming out saying, you know, I got to stretch my legs. I got to do this. I got to do that. Or I've heard all I need to hear. I already support him, whatever. It wasn't that people were coming out of that CPAC room upset. They were just, everybody marveled at his ability to just hold forth for two hours. And the other indication that is given by that is that the president is really comfortable in where he is and what he's been doing and the policies he's putting forward. So, you know, it, I don't, I don't think it's going to be easy and I'm not trying to, to make it seem as if, Oh, this is going to be a cakewalk, 
But clearly the Democrats feel threatened because they don't want to go on on Fox to have even one of their debates. Clearly they feel threatened because they're still trying to reframe the Russian narrative into collusion or obstruction of justice. They, instead of giving the president the ability to govern as was given to President Obama, their, their intention is to simply continue to hit him over and over and over again and um, make, make the opportunity for him to do what he needs to do so difficult that, you know, it, it's almost impossible. And it, even that isn't going to work. It's not going to work. Um, and, and I think it's funny because <laughs> right now on the stream on uh, YouTube, people are commenting to say that they don't need to see the DNC debate. So <laughs> if they don't have it on Fox, uh, millions of Americans are not going to watch it. Millions of Americans are not going to hear from the Democrats candidates. They won't get to hear them explain anything or make their case at all. Now, I know there's there's a lot of people out there who are on the left who will say, well, Fox News viewers were never going to listen anyway. OK, sure. You could say that. But if you're someone who's ever done retail politics, um, because I've, I've knocked doors. And let me tell you what I what I learned knocking doors. Um, first of all, I learned that if if the weather is bad and you knock doors anyway, you're going to win more voters than when it's sunny outside. And if you bring one of your kids with you, with you when you knock doors, people will let you put a sign in their yard much more readily than they will if you show up by yourself. But the number one thing I learned was that when I knocked the door that nobody else knocked, the person who answered it would say to me, um, I don't know what you stand for, but I know I'm much more inclined to give you my vote because you're the only person who's asked me for it. And you can't ask a person for their vote if you won't go on the TV station that they watch. And so this is a huge mistake for the Democrats. You know, I'm all for it. I want them to lose and lose bigly, hugely. I want them to lose. Yes, I do. But I mean, I didn't even know we could get errors like this. It's epic. All right. That's the show for today. God bless you from the heartland. Be back with you tomorrow. Thanks for making your home at AFR and Urban. Urban.